Welcome to the Women's Mentoring Network of Canada, a podcast about ex-cadet women mentoring and building community together. I'm your host, Amanda Calhouse, a graduate of the Royal Military College of Canada, class of 1994 in electrical engineering. So good afternoon, good morning. Today I have with me Trish Loy. How are you doing, Trish? Uh, good, thanks. Thanks for having me here. I'm actually really excited to talk to you. I um, <laughs> Funny because I haven't had a chance to read your books, but I did find an excerpt on Amazon <laughs> and I really liked it. And so I was actually going to, I do try to read the books before I interview someone. Yeah. Um, but when I tried to order it, it wasn't going to be here until like the, the 20th of December. And so oh I was like, gosh. oh, that's not in time. Get it as an ebook. It's cheaper. It's quicker. It's like... I know. I love physical books. So oh, I think that's okay. part of it. Okay. <laughs> I spend all my day on the computer. So it's nice to like mm-hmm. take a break and actually read a real book. Um, but yes, yeah, so as I've, I've given a little bit away, um, maybe uh, tell our reader, or readers, our listeners, <laughs> <laughs> tell our listeners, your readers, uh, tell our listeners about um, when you went to military college and what you studied. And then you can sort of fast forward into what you do today. <laughs> okay. My name is Trish Loy, and I went to RMC, graduated in 93, and I studied honors physics. And to say I am not doing anything with physics now, <laughs> I, I, I did work in different, I'm going to say genres. It's all the book stuff is in my head now. Um, I worked in medical physics, and I got my master's in medical physics, worked in that, worked in the own gas worked in IT, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Fast forward a number of years, and I was at home with my kids, and I decided to learn how to write, and now I write romance novels. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. But but you write a specific genre of romance novels. Yes, I write, wait for it, no, I write uh, military romance. So, and, uh, and I write it a little bit differently. I think most uh, military romance has the guy as the, the hero, and he usually comes back to a small town, and everyone's like, oh, look, it's a Navy SEAL. And the girl falls at his feet after he saves her from kidnappers or something, right? But um, I was like, I like the idea of military romance. But So all of my women are in the military or uh, could some kind of police detective or something. They're all doing something. And, uh, and they usually save the world together, you know, the hero and the, I have to have, I have to have the woman doing something. And half the time she saves him and he saves her and then they save save each other. Like, yeah. So it's fun to write. And, uh, I have some resources. I love it. uh, Yeah. And that was good. It's good. Half my guy friends are like, is that me on the cover? Did you take a picture of me when I wasn't looking? (laughs) Um, no, you're a 50 year old man. No, you don't look like that anymore. <laughs> don't like that. I don't know if you ever did look like that. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's funny. You know, sort of talk to us about the, the career path that, that you had then. So you went from physics. Were you, um, I think you and I talked before you were RETP, R-E-T-P um, reserve yeah. entry. At- yeah. So what what did you do after you graduated? What did your career look like? Um, so I actually spent uh, like a year in full-time reserves and then a year in afterwards when I went to um, uh, UFC to do my master's in space physics and found out that was actually a lot more boring than it sounds. It's not Star Trek. <laughs> and, 
-hmm. then I uh, transferred into medical physics, which was more of a a new field back then. There's like diagnostic imaging or radiation therapy, and I ended up in radiation therapy. And from there, it's one of those things that, you know, you need to have a PhD and you're still low on the totem pole in the hospital and everything. So I was just like this, there's so much school ahead of me and I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. (laughs) So I ended up rolling into oil and gas and working as a physicist there in seismic processing. And then um, I spent, I was like, I'm going to stick to a job. I'm going to spend three years here. And oh my gosh, it was so boring. <laughs> oh no. But, um, and then from there, I went into IT project management and uh, I just kind of bounced around looking for my thing. And I think a lot, some people know what they want right from the get go. I thought I did, but um, I was just all over the place. And then, um, and I was working a lot. So when I got married and had kids, I was working like 60, 70 hours a week. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this and have kids because my husband was doing it as well. And, and so um, I decided to stay home with them and figure out what I was going to be when I grew up. Right. And uh, I even temped as a, as a receptionist (laughs) at an engineering firm. Like I, I did all these different things, just going like, what is it that I should be doing? And at the same time, I was uh, really staying home with kids is great, but it's also mind numbing. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I need to uh, do something to learn something. And I've never been a good writer. Like I remember taking basic English for engineers way back when in the first year. And and the English prof, uh, bless him, he <laughs> like we actually watched movies and wrote essays on them. That's how bad. Like I don't think he even thought we could read. And um, he, <laughs> we wrote the essays and he'd be like, you know what? You should have failed this, but you had a couple of good points. So we're going to give you a 55. And I'm like, thank you. Oh my goodness. So I was like, I'm sure I can learn how to write. Like, and uh, um, instead of writing nonfiction, I decided to go with fiction. And I read a lot of books on how to write stories. And I read a lot. Like, I love stories. I didn't click in. This is what I should do with my life, though. But until like later. But so I started writing stories and I found how how much I enjoyed this. And then I started meeting other people who were writers and I went to a conference and I love that. And yet I was still like looking for what I should do with my life. So it was, uh, you know, when you talk to people, they're like, you can't be a writer. They make no money. And so I was like, okay, fine. I gotta, I gotta have a real job. And uh, yeah, that's not what I was. I think I I feel good because I finally, found what I should be doing is, is writing. I enjoy it. And, and it's, um, it's one of those things like, you know, everyone says, find your passion. Well, sometimes it's right there in your face and you're like, but I can't do that. But not that, but not that that one. It it is, uh, it it is interesting how, you know, we, it's like the stories we tell ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? Totally. Right. Yep. So, um, Backing backing up a bit, tell us about what prompted you to go to military college in the first place. Okay, so this is kind of embarrassing. I didn't uh, tell you this. We talked before. <laughs> when I was 12, I, uh, I saw a documentary on astronauts, and I was like, ooh, I want to be an astronaut. And I was like, that's it. That's just what I'm going to do. I'm 12. I know everything. I'm blind as a bat, by the way, with Coke bottle glasses at age 12. 
there's no, <laughs> there's no way physically I could be an astronaut. But I was like, nope, I'm going to do this. And I, Mark Garneau went to RMC. So I was like, I can, and I lived in Kingston. So I knew about RMC. My dad had gone there and I'm like, this is going to be. And also I was like, as I got older, it was still always, it was cheap, you know, like even as an RETP. Yeah. But I knew about RETP yeah. because of my dad. Because they don't tell you that, like, oh. and, and so, right? Yeah, I always wondered how people found out. It was yeah. like the best kept secret at RMC. Totally, they <laughs> do not tell you that at the recruiting office about RECP. My dad's like, if you go there, you know, keep your options open. Here's what you do. And I was like, oh, okay. The other part about it too, though, is uh, like I know a lot of your other guests have talked about. I wanted to do something more than just what everyone else was doing. I, and so I, I know that at that time there was all these commercials for the American military that was like, be all you can be. And I was like, that's it. That's what I got to do. So, you know, the astronaut thing, okay, I quickly found yeah. out that was not going to happen, but... <laughs> It's, hey man, half of us were there because of Top Gun. So oh don't right, oh Top Gun was huge. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to be a pilot. <laughs> I was supposed to be. I had they they put me in as an air nav classification initially, and and I get sent up to Ottawa for my eye test. And as soon as I walk in, the guy looks at the papers and he's like, "What are you doing here?" And I'm like, I, "I'm here for the air nav thing." And and they're like, "You're blind as a bat. You can't be here. You're, you can't be here." <laughs> And they sent me back and I was like, and then they, they kicked me. They, they said, Oh, well, you can't go to RMC then. And I was like, what? And then, and then they called me back and said, okay, you can come, but we don't know what you're going to be. And so I went into uh, uh, basic with no idea what my classification was. And I got flipped back and forth between army and air force, like three or four times. So, you know, basic and you're trying to figure out how to fold all the shirts and everything. And, and uh, yeah, yeah, and then they they go like, yeah, glad you got that sorted out, Loy, but you're gonna you're gonna be army now. What? And then and then oh, I had to change no. it. It went back, and then I finally ended up as army. And then I still didn't. It wasn't until like I think the end of basic that I they told me that I was Sealy Land. So, and I was oh, like, oh my goodness, okay, I didn't realize that that's crazy. Sounds sounds good. <laughs> Let's do it. Yep, I was just happy. So, they so didn't on your final parade, you had the right uniform. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Final period, I had the right uniform and I had a cat patch or like at the end there. So it's good. Oh, right. Yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. You have to know what your MOC is going to be in order to get the right cat badge when you graduate. Yeah. 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 So, wow. But it was, uh, yeah. It was, oh, it was the choice of basically, I kind of found it fun. I don't know. I think it was the people and everything. That's probably why you did well in Sealy Land, and I would not. <laughs> some of it, <laughs> I some did of not it was fun. Okay, it was fun. It was painful in its own way, but some of it was fun. Like, yeah, like, yeah, firing off weapons. Just well, and then we run out of ammo, and just like bang, 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 budget cuts, bang, bang. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Yeah, good. So when you graduated, uh, you had a moral obligation to serve in the reserves, and not yeah. a, yeah. not a yeah. a a written obligation. Or um, so so your decision to leave the military had almost been made ahead of you joining. Yes, exactly, exactly. Like I in my head, I gave them a year full time, and I figured that was uh, good enough. <laughs> yeah, some of it, was, and then and then I tried when I was here. I didn't. When I moved to Calgary and I was living up in the Northwest, 
uh, by the university and going to school there. And then I had to get like take two buses to get to the uh, units to do the reserves there. And finally, by the end of it, I was like, I'm sorry, guys, like I'm not I'm not helping anyway. Like I can't go on half the things like I'm just useless here. So I uh, uh, I jumped ship at that point, I guess. Yeah. Did you ever, you know, did you ever consider um, moving from reserve to reg force during I did. You know, your time? Yeah. After it was at, like, not while I was at RMC, like every now and then the thought would flicker, but um, I still had these, this idea of what I was going to do with my life. Um, it was when right. I ended up doing my master's, finishing it, and there was a choice there about whether to go, I was supposed to go to Wisconsin of all places to do my PhD. And I wavered at that point because it is a bit of a transition moving a bit. Like I'm sure it's a huge transition for people who've been in the military for a while to move to civilian life. But even mm. for me leaving, you just can't find the friends or the network, the support, like, like you, Oh my God, the network. Yeah. yeah. Like, like you do um, have in the military. So I like even the reserves wasn't quite it wasn't like it was like it's it's a different uh, mindset and and I found actually a little bit of a resistance to me because I I had gone to RMC and there was a big pushback at that point about it like so and I was like kind of shown like look I'm easygoing I'm not I don't think I'm like you know the end all be all <laughs> but uh, right anyway it was uh, it was fine I totally forgot the question actually <laughs> just about you know did you ever consider going full-time oh, yeah. so I think I think missing the support and everything at one point I I considered yeah going back in at different uh, stages just to uh, find it again but something would stop me and it would be usually like knowing that that was going backwards and I can't I wouldn't find what I was looking for. The grass isn't greener over there. Like I just needed to build up my own support network. It's just harder and takes longer. Like there's no forced misery to share. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and I think that's, you know, essentially one of the reasons I started doing the podcast is when I got out and I moved back to Toronto, there's next to no, you know, right. There's hardly any military people in Toronto. And even if there are, it's such a big center that you wouldn't know it. There's not this, yeah. you know, yeah, there's the ex-cadet club and there's a Toronto branch, but it's hard. Yeah. It's just not the same as, yeah. you know, the network that you had when you were in. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, it takes a long time to build that back up. I'm sure you yeah. found the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're not finding people, uh, as many people like-minded. Right. I found it, uh, Okay, this I don't know if this is appropriate or not, but I found it very difficult sometimes more with uh, women, mm-hmm. and I just couldn't connect. And then, and then you just know you can't relate because yeah. it's not they haven't had the same kind of experience. Yeah, yeah. Not to say anything that they're bad or I'm better or anything like that. It was just yeah. sometimes yeah. I'm yeah. So it's harder to find those women because those women that you connect with are usually incredibly busy. Like they're so busy. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the cross yeah. path once you're like, ooh you I want to get to know you <laughs> right yeah but uh yeah it's it's tricky and I I would assume like the longer you're in the military the harder it would be so to, to yeah. transition out yeah I would imagine 
yeah, I mean, I, I didn't do much longer than you. I was only, I only stayed in for the five years after grad. So talking to a few of the other guests, you know, there has been, you know, then the doubt set starts to set in. I think the longer you're in, yes. you start, I think that that doubt starts to set in about not being able to do anything else, which <gasps> is yeah. so not true. So not true. <laughs> like having been on the yeah. outside for so long, like, and I, I remember even I yeah. talking to some of my guy friends and like, you know, he's like, I'm going to retire. I don't even, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, dude, you've been in the infantry for like decades and you did this and you did this and you did this. People are going to want to snap you up. Like you just have to put yourself yeah. out there. And, uh, and same with women, of course, too. Like, like there's so much experience now. And the military yeah. is viewed in a much better light now than it was, I think, like in the late 80s. In the 90s. Yeah, 90s. <laughs> like it was kind of like, you know, yeah. but yeah. It's uh, people have a much better view of it overall, I think. So that's true. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that as well. So tell me, were there there some things that you learned about yourself or experiences that you had at RMC that that sort of changed or you know your your perception of 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 yourself or of others? Overall, okay. So overall, like I would say, RMC. Uh, did wonders for me. Like I learned how to push fast, like that limits aren't, that are a mental thing, right? More than anything. Yes, you have physical yeah. body limits that you can push through and the friendships I got there. But one of the things I did learn about myself is how to stand up for myself, how to uh, fight back, not in a physical sense. So that happened yeah. too, but um, because that, uh, one point there, I was one of those people who I, about a month after, like, work term had just ended, and uh, there was a big party, and that night, I went back to my room. My roommate was out, and I had a friend come to my room, and, uh, like, I was already in my pajamas. I was close to passing out, and I did pass out in my bed, um, and he... Uh, he raped me. I woke up uh, with him on top of me, and the only reason I woke up was because it was it hurt because it was painful because that was right. it was my first experience, and um, so that uh, and there was a whole monologue I didn't like. I I was like, oh, I should scream, but I was like, oh, well, then people come in like, and I um, right. talked myself out of doing anything. Like I basically just froze. And, um, which I blamed myself for at the time. Like I didn't, I was like, well, I oh, didn't, no. I didn't do anything. I didn't. Uh, and then, so I was like, well, I didn't, uh, fight it. So it's not an assault and therefore I can't say anything about it. And the culture at that time, um, and I really hope it's different. At that point, there was another woman who had gotten into a situation and it was broadcasted throughout the whole wing and uh, she, even though she was in first year and the guy was in fourth year, um, she was seen as the one, like uh, he was the victim and, you know, he was getting reprimanded because of her and, you know, as if, as if she could walk through the wing. I mean, this was like month two, right? As if a first year could walk right. through the wing to, to a fourth year's room, like, no, that's not going to happen. Right. Right. So I, you just see yeah. all that going on and it's just like, you know what? No, I have no 
at that point, I didn't have a network around me to support me. So I, I just do whatever, you just stuff it down. Like, didn't happen, oh but it's fine. Like, it's not a big deal. And um, this was, and it was weird. It's in the same, uh, it was probably like a month later. Um, so I was just 18 and so couldn't go out drinking with everyone all the time. Like, I had to steal someone's ID if I was right. going to. But um, I uh, was, it was like a Friday or Saturday night, and I was sitting there reading in my room, and everybody was out. And some upper year walked down our hallway, and we had to have our doors open all the time. And he, yeah. uh, he came into my room, and I was like, like, fuck no. Like, this is not. Like, but I, again, I had that right. where I froze, and until he came really close, and tried to kiss me again and stuff and and uh, uh, something snapped in me and I was like no way no way not again and I uh, grabbed him by the throat like and I dug my fingernails in around his like windpipe and then I just um, kind of walked him out of my room and uh, like I was just like and afterwards I was like so proud of myself that I had like done something yeah. and said no this is I'm not going to be treated this way anymore. And then after that, I, uh, it's not like I was strategic with my friendships, but I um, had a really great network of guy friends. And in first year, I basically hung out with guys and I just hung out with the ones that, like, I do remember this one guy one time we were out and he touched my butt and I'm like, you're off the list. <laughs> like, like, no, like I right. just guy friends who saw me as a friend and that was it. And, yeah. And I had this little security trust network around me. And those guys are my friends today. Like, uh, they are yeah. amazing. Like, you know, and, and so are my girlfriends from there too. But it was like almost like a instinctive, like, I need this around me. Like, they're my brothers exactly. <laughs> that are going to protect me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then, but then I also learned that I can protect myself. And then I just became more yeah. and more confident. And, like, the thought now is... Uh, like have to forgive that I didn't do anything back then in that first incident, right? Yeah. But um, that is a lot of therapy. <laughs> but, yeah. But but it's you know and it, it's unfortunate that the culture is like that and it like and I've heard incidences and it's like uh, it doesn't to me it it's like the it doesn't reflect RMC because that could have happened at. Uh, a normal university. I was right? just going to ask you that. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, I think we've, in the last few years, heard reports about, you know, assaults oh, happening yeah. across Canadian campuses and U.S. as well. Yeah. And Many that's why, like, I don't the news. hold it against RMC. I don't blame the military. I do think the culture at the time, but I think that culture was in evidence in a lot of other places as well. Right. That idea of, right. you know, the man is, you know, he said, she said, and not really believing the woman kind of thing. But yeah. so that was everywhere. And I kind of even then recognized that this, this, I had gotten myself into, oh, I had, that's, that's bad. Yeah. Someone had taken advantage <laughs> of me, right? You know, there's still that, you yes. know, and, yeah. uh, and he was a bit older and I think he knew what he was doing. Like, you know, so it was, um, yeah. but I don't blame RMC. Now, should they have let us close our doors? Fuck yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So uh, um, after that, I uh, I just I I did start closing my door and stuff and just be like, you know, if someone 
and and I felt like I could stand up more for myself and things like that. And um, yeah, there's more of like, okay, low is low, and now we're we're moving on, and we can. I don't know. I do credit RMC for some of the shittiest times, but some of the best, right? So it it was good. Yeah. 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 I know you said through a lot of therapy, was was that something you had easy access to or? No, no. And actually it was, <laughs> it wasn't until years later, I think I was watching an after school special with my kids or something like like no, they were they were little. Like I think I was just watching anything on TV. I was mind numbing at that moment, and <laughs> and it was on um, it was on rape, and it was uh, about a girl who had passed out and a guy taking advantage of her. And I didn't even realize that was rape. Like I didn't until that point, oh. and I was like, oh my god! Like I knew that it was wrong, and I was ashamed of it. Right. I knew those weren't good feelings. I knew so much shame, and like I just bawled. Like I just cried so much, but, um, but I still never got therapy for like, <laughs> like I just, I, I oh. couldn't, it's, it's weird. I just shove it down until there's a certain point. It's like, um, like a champagne bottle, you shake it and every now and then until there's a certain point, it can't, you blow the top. And, uh, so, right. um, and I think that's, I've, I've talked to, uh, friend who in the military who he uh, that's what happened to him like it, it's almost wait and um, you wait until um you can finally relax and that's when everything sort of bubbles out like and, and uh, mm. um yeah so I was getting therapy for I went to therapy for something else like it was and we ended up touching on this and and then the therapist actually recommended um EMDR which is I looked it up. Eye movement, shit, desensitization, oh, I can't even say it, desensitization <laughs> and uh, reprocessing. And uh, that, okay. that, if anyone does have things like um, deals with PTSD of any sort or uh, that kind of thing, I would highly recommend this. At the time, it almost feels like you're re-traumatizing yourself, but uh, because you are going through it um in detail again right and that's not something anyone really wants to do but I can actually talk about it now I can um like it's the shame is gone uh and I know that's not for a lot of people with PTSD it's not shame it's other emotions but the those big hard ball emotion is can release with uh this I mean there's all different types of therapy out there but I would highly recommend that for anyone who's dealing with things like that Oh, that's awesome. I know when I talked to, to Sherry Lachine earlier, um, a couple of months ago, she, she's, uh, she's awesome. She was, I love her so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, and she shared that, you know, there's that military uh, members and veterans and their families are eligible for therapy through a 1888 number. And so yeah. I'll share that again yeah. with this episode, because, you know, if you don't have access in your current employment, yeah. You know, and, and honestly, I mean, even my current employer has just changed their mental health benefits um, in January to add additional um, health care benefits. Oh, well, that's um, good. Because half health. the time like they had some already, yeah. but yeah. Like half the time you're like, oh, you're lucky to get five sessions. Well, you don't even get into anything right. deep until session three. Like, what the hell? Like, and that's not yes. enough to help a lot of people. So it is, 
Yeah. It's a good thing the military is offering that kind of thing. Even if it's just a touchstone to check in every now and then or something, I don't know. I think it's similar to like uh, an employee assistance program where it was like eight sessions or something. Okay. That's good. Yeah. But yeah. Still better than nothing. I know yeah. there are long, long wait lists for some therapists and things like mm-hmm. that nowadays. Mm-hmm. So, so we're going to switch topics a little bit happy? and get into to <laughs> mentorship. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, obviously you started out your career as a physicist yep. and I can't imagine there were a ton of women <laughs> in, in that. But now you're, you know, part of the writing community and yep. it's particularly the romance writing. Yep. And I believe that is much more skewed towards women writers. So tell me a little bit about what you've seen from a mentorship perspective throughout your career. So I've had some uh, really great mentors when I was younger, but they were all, they were all men. And I didn't even think that that, I think back then you don't even think that that's really weird because it just. That's Correct. just what it was, right? It's just what it was. Yeah. And I think, honestly, if I'd had a female mentor, I would have found them intimidating. Like, ooh, a female who's gone mm-hmm. through ahead of me. Like, you know, like, it's, like that would have been. It's like when I find someone who's taller than me, a female who's taller than me, it just intimidates me because I'm not used to that. <laughs> just so everyone knows. Right. I am quite tall. I'm like 5'11". So it's like, <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, moving on. So, uh um, moving into the writing industry, initially you're just sort of finding people that other authors that you know that, um, uh, and they're sort of on your same level, and then you start uh, getting into it. And like I just recently went to a conference, uh, the Romance Author Mastermind, and it was down in Houston, and it was fabulous. There's 400 women there. Like I think there's two men, like because <laughs> it's one of those you have, wow. you have to be invited to go, and um, right. it's and these women, the the speakers, like they they are just so generous with their information and uh, numbers. People talk numbers all the time because as long as everyone has an understanding that you're not going to uh, share anyone else's private information, right? So, but it is right. It's like if you went to anyone, like walked up to them and said, "I need help with this," or "How do you do this?" Like, um, totally, they're they're there. Like it's it's a pretty amazing. Uh, community actually it's it's really quite nice uh, yeah every now and then yeah. you get a bad egg but for the most part um these are lovely lovely ladies yeah so um, oh wow yeah that's awesome i i enjoy meeting them okay we're all a little weird you know we spend our days in our basement typing away listening to voices in our heads <laughs> <laughs> but it's all good <laughs> like yeah, there, there are times when I, I finally like get to talk to another adult and i won't shut up because i'm like blah, blah, blah. makes sense makes sense um did have you then you've been writing for quite a while now then um yeah have you had the opportunity to mentor others um yes I usually I tend to really like um working with people uh on the craft side of things like um how to write stories that kind of thing and and I've um, actually helped teach at a, one of the uh, local schools and stuff, creative writing. And I love that, teaching teenagers, like especially ones who want okay. to uh, write and stuff. And, and yeah. uh, so a lot of times, yeah, the mentoring is like it'll be people reaching out. Um, and so, oh, my gosh, I've read a lot of bad stories. 
bought a bad story. (laughs) (laughs) Reading the story and going, oh, okay. But, you know, you find constructive how to do this. And I do, it's letting them down easy with the idea of like, if, you know, you have one book, that's, that's great. But that's not going to make the career. Like you've got to, um, unless you just want to sell it to your friends, like you've got to push through and keep, keep moving forward for this, you know, so. Um, but I, that being said, I'm totally open to mentoring. Like if anyone out there is interested in writing and wants to know about publishing or, or crafting a good story, I don't know as much about nonfiction, but, um, I do, uh, like that's definitely like a traditional publishing route rather than an independent, which is what I am. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's that whole thing too. Like publishing, there's indie publishing and then there's traditional publishing and traditional is great but it is uh very slow and um and you lose control as soon as you uh hand that story off to somebody and they can um right. or like listening to kate armstrong right uh or talk yeah. about it like they added a subtitle to her thing they pick the cover they pick they they pick everything and it's for marketing right they assume you don't know anything yeah and um and that's as an indie you get to do all that, pick your cover, um, you know, find, uh, I have a fantastic cover designer, um, and you find your editors, you do everything. I thought you were going to say you get to pick your cover models. Oh my God. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I was just, I was just thinking of that new, that Sandra Bullock movie recently with Tatum Channing. I love that movie that that movie spoke to me. (laughs) I feel like that was your life, right? (laughs) I'm like, that. I love that. Yep, that was the best thing ever. <laughs> I'm gonna go watch it again this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, what was that? Was that one Lost City or was it? Oh, I think so. Something like that. Paradise. No, I think it's like the Lost City or something. Lost City. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it was Lost City. Yeah. Just in case anyone hasn't seen it, mm. now they can know what your life is like. Now I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, totally right. <laughs> Oh, if only. <laughs> if, if only. If only. <laughs> I have met cover models. Yeah, that's. But they're usually at conferences and everything, and you know, it's it's just weird. It's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it would. Be. All these middle-aged women, and then like five hot guys, and you're like, okay, this is creepy. <laughs> this is creepy. <laughs> Something is wrong about like it's almost like yeah. I'm like I'm out. The reverse is equally as wrong, yes, exactly. but it's much more common. Yep. Yeah, I I am glad that they've stopped with the the uh, the women models for cars. To be quite honest, like oh, we right. we now have you know, yeah, yeah. It's it's nice to see those types of things changing. You know that's that is an interesting. Uh, point because like if you had a genre of books like um say like all the james bond books and everything and it was like mm-hmm. a female in a bikini you know you would get they would get a lot of flack right nobody really yeah i mean they make fun of the man chest covers but nobody really says anything about it like there is a double standard there that we're not really um like i know but it's it's what pays the bills so <laughs> right. uh, like i really <laughs> did not want to have Manchester on my covers, but everyone was like, if you want to sell, you're going to put that on your cover. And I'm like, okay. And then my daughter, oh my gosh, she was 
at the time she was like 12 or 13, she came in and she saw the first book and she's like, mom, that is so unprofessional. And I was like, what? (laughs) She said, a soldier would never have his shirt off like that. (laughs) Like, (laughs) So true. So true. Yeah. I'm like, you're right. It's kind of geeky, but oh well. It it is it is interesting to think about the the reverse stereotypes. I yes, guess. <laughs> yeah, and there is a lot of that. Like there's like it, it's yeah. interesting. Like and we don't see it as something harmful, but uh, we really should try to like uh, do better. That being said, I'm not taking the man chest off my books. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. So tell me, what have been some of the highlights of your career thus far? And life and in life, general. Life. Okay, so the career initially, like the bumping around and everything, I just like learning new things. So that was always good. But honestly, I think um, highlights is uh, connecting with my friends again. Like since kids have gotten a little bit older and we've been reaching out more. I don't know, I think it's because we're getting old. Reconnecting with them um, and highlights oh like publishing a book is super scary because uh, you're it's part of your soul that goes out there kind of feels like with your baby and you gotta really it's like not, one of your children yeah and you really <laughs> gotta not think of that and you're like don't throw stones at it it's my baby but yeah anyway right uh, but once you get over that it's like it is amazing to get those emails from readers and to get the the feedback that you know they really love this or they were having a hard time this is the best when you get ones that they're they're having a hard time and i let them escape because that's all this is mm. right you just i just kind of want yeah to let people experience something that other than their own life like sometimes we just need to get away from our own lives a little bit so yeah that's uh that's good oh and then there was one thing i remembered that super awesome highlight i've been able to use uh my readers to help raise money for uh wounded warriors and oh wow! So it, I go on. I, I Sherry might have mentioned the the battlefield battlefield bike ride, and so you go on this. Yeah. And, and you, it's pretty awesome. Like you go and you travel through uh, France or like Belgium. We did a tour like World War Two things. One year we went to Bosnia, Croatia, and uh, for oh, wow. that conflict, and we went through and they had people speak who'd been there, and they, you know, this is the site of where this happened. This is, you know, and so. Um, those trips are physically demanding and also emotionally, mentally, like demanding and they just change your life. Like definitely a highlight of my life is going on these things and being able to use my stories to help, help that, help that uh, organization. I think it's a great organization. Yeah. So if anyone out there wants to do this, Battlefield Bike Ride. Like, look it up. It's under Wounded Warriors Canada. I would highly recommend. They're going to Italy this upcoming year. So, Do they do, like, biking through mountains in those? Like, yeah. it's yeah, they like, do. It's challenging. <laughs> it's, yes, yeah. it can be. Yeah, it's, it can be very challenging. But it's, like, one of those things. That, and, it, and I think that's it. Like, most of the people on it are either, like, are somehow connected to uh, the military or they're veterans or they're first responders or former first responders, something like that. So there's always that community and it's not a race and everyone is like mm. cheering you on as you get to the top, like, you know, like, or they're waiting for you or, you know, it's just like, 
um, I've been on some bike rides with civilians and they're like, you know, they call it, they drop you. They, it's basically like, you can't keep up. See you later, dude. (laughs) And and you're like, where's, where's my network? (laughs) So my support. So this is, um, it's kind of feeling a little bit of that. So if you're out of the military and you're kind of missing it, this, this bike ride brings that feeling back of finding, finding your people again. It's really, and you do not have to be like in amazing shape. You, you honestly, you don't like, they have different groups. They have, yes, they have the amazing shape people, you know, zooming away very fast. And then, you know, the rest of us at the back going, look, that's a cafe. I think we should stop. And oh, you know, okay. Like okay. we'll get there eventually. Well, now, now you've piqued my interest because I. Oh yeah. We um. So GM has the before COVID. I think three or four years in a row, we we did like the Cadillac ride, and they that first started when they were they were they actually rode from like New York City, like the Cadillac headquarters in New York City, um, through to the Cadillac headquarters in in Oshawa. Oh. Um, and they, you know, so they allowed employees to join for like, you could join for 65 or 130 kilometers. Oh, wow. So okay. basically from headquarters to, to the CN tower and back to headquarters. So I went from head from, from the CN tower back to head, I did the 65 <laughs> and I right. did it a couple of times, but, um, it, like it's, you know, I don't ride enough. <laughs> oh, I know. Like, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's the, the biggest key is getting your butt used to the saddle. Like that's oh, God, before yeah. you get on yeah. because you're on the bike every day. So, um, every getting day. butt sores are not like when I first signed up, it was, uh, sorry, but like Sherry, Sherry's the one who first did it. And, and then she was like, you guys all have to do this. So it was Sherry, Shem, Smitty, and they were egging me on. I didn't even have a bike. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll do this. And I was like, I don't ride. Like, I'm not going to drive to clip in. Like, what is that? Like, you know, and oh, no. oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Like, and, and then they were like, and they were talking about it, And they're like, yeah, get some butt butter. And I'm like, butt butter. And I thought they were joking. Like, I had no idea. It's actual cream. Oh, wow. And I have one that's called hoo-ha ride glide. Like, it's for women. The hoo-ha. And <laughs> <laughs> you're kind of like, <laughs> and it's, it's, cream you smear on your butt so you don't get sores no idea i i used to do triathlon but it never enough oh. like i wouldn't do it ever right so you wouldn't be riding every day yeah well i think that's part of it this community oh, like they like they tell you everything you need to know right so you're like i'm right. a newbie what should i be doing because i was like we're yeah. going we're riding for six days do i need six outfits they're like no this is how you do it like and I'm like, I don't want to wear sweaty clothes. Every- <laughs> yeah. So they, they tell you all the little tricks and everything. And yeah, because if you show up without butt butter, if you get a sore in your butt, you're in the van. Like there's oh no, I can't even imagine. Yeah, yeah. 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 How, uh, how many kilometers do you ride on those, on the, on the battlefield tour? Was uh, 600K in six days. And I think now they've made it so it's a little less. Um, I think it might be 500. So like they'll start with a shakeout ride of about 40k just to make sure everyone's bike. Half the people, most people are renting, and then and then from oh, there, wow. okay, you uh, um, do about 80, 90 a day. But it's like broken up with lunch, and they feed you so well. Like lunch, a stop to see a monument yeah. here, you know, whatever. So you're riding like 
an hour, an hour and a half max before you're stopping for a snack or you're stopping for a thing or you're, you know, and it's not, you're writing at your own pace. And sometimes, you know, depending on who you're with, like the first year, I think I just, I just held tight to my little group and I didn't, didn't go outside the rules. And now it's like, oh, that looks interesting. We're just going to go there and then we'll catch up. (laughs) So, right. It's all good. Oh, cool. I'll add a link to their website so people can see if if that's something that they're interested in. Awesome. Well, on that note, is there any advice that you'd like to leave our listeners with today? Ah, advice. Okay. Therapy is good. (laughs) (laughs) Good. And um, I think one of the things, and I find myself saying this to a lot of people and a lot of writers, I say it too as well, is be gentle with yourself because other people out there are not judging us as harshly as we judge ourselves. Like we are, I actually listened to Carla's episode and she was talking about how, you know, she was a dumpster fire and, and, you know, it's like, really you like, there's no way, but we judge ourselves so harshly. Like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm not this. I'm not perfect. I'm not, you know, I'm lazy. That's that goes through my head all the time. Like, I'm lazy. I'm not, I'm not at the computer enough. I'm not publishing enough. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. And yeah, we need to be gentle with ourselves. We are amazing fucking women and we don't, and we don't say that to ourselves enough, I think. So be gentle. I think that's about it. I like it. I think that's really good advice. And you're right. We are amazing women. We really are. Well, and I think you're amazing. This Thank is you. like such an awesome podcast. I oh. love it. Like the fact that you started this, so cool. So cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Tell all your friends to come on in. <laughs> We're always looking for guests. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today, Trish. It was great talking to you and great reconnecting. So thanks very much. Yes. Well, thanks for having me. This was fun. Funner than- <laughs> awesome. Yeah. It's good. It's good. See? Not so scary. Not so scary. Yeah, okay. So I did. So everyone out there knows I kind of avoided Amanda for like a good month because <laughs> I didn't want to do this. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. I've become a hermit, but I really like this. This is fun. Thank you for joining us today on the Women's Mentoring Network of Canada podcast. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, please reach out to us at wmncanada at gmail.com or on Instagram. Special thanks to our podcast editor, Ethan Cuenca.